Welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. And now the trading deadline has come and gone in Major League Baseball. I will say this. The trading deadline in baseball is the best in sports. We had Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer traded. We don't get any of those moves in the NBA. Now, I get it. This year, we got Kevin Durant, but ordinarily not a lot of movement at the trading deadline in the NBA. So I do love the trading deadline in Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, the Red Sox don't really do anything big. They pick up Luis Urias, basically taking a flyer on a guy that has been in AAA most of the season, middle infielder who hit 23 home runs a couple of years ago. That's fine, but really what the Red Sox are essentially telling us is their defense of not adding a starting pitcher is that their hope is Chris Sale is going to be a big-time contributor to this team. And in their defense, Sale's last five starts prior to the injury, 223 ERA, his strikeout rate was 28.5%, which was 14th among starters during that stretch. And the hard hit rate, which means balls off the bat 95 plus, was at 25.9%, which was second. So basically, he's striking out a lot of guys and he's not giving up loud contact. So that's great. And maybe it works out. But we all know that Chris Sale, he's dealt with so many injuries. And if you look at the beginning of the season, Sale had six starts to begin the year, a 675 ERA. So it took him a lot of time to sort of find his momentum this year. And the Red Sox still did not address the rotation issues. When you look at this team, since June 30th, the bullpen has thrown the most innings in the sport. And on the season, the starters are 27th as it pertains to innings pitch. So clearly they didn't fix that issue. So Chris Sale, that's the hope. And the other thing that I would say is that they looked at it and they probably said, Heim Bloom in his press conference after the deadline on Tuesday Mentioned they didn't really want to go after a rental. If it made sense, sure, but they didn't feel like the price was right there. And they can look at Nick Pavetta and say, hey, Pavetta, since we moved him to the bullpen, now he's back in the rotation as he started that game on Monday night. And he was outstanding, had 10 strikeouts. He was tremendous. They're banking on Pavetta now would have been a better thing to add at the deadline than any of these sort of movable starters, if you will, where they look at Pavetta and say, you know what? He's throwing the ball really well. If you look at him, since the 21st of May, and you look at some of the numbers, he has been downright outstanding. 2.23 ERA, which is really good compared to a 6.30 ERA prior to the 21st. And the big thing for Pavetta is the fastball has been really good. Since that date that I gave you, the 21st of May, opponents are hitting 0.86 against it compared to 2.93 prior to that. So their hope is that Nick Pavetta, and the velocity is up basically a mile per hour on that, that Pavetta is better than any of these rental guys. So what Heimblum said essentially was, ultimately, we didn't end up with a match on any of those pieces, referring to controllable guys, because the controllable pitchers, the Mitch Kellers and the Dylan Ceases of the world, those guys didn't get moved at the trading deadline. The only guy that did that had sort of years left on his contract was Aaron Savalli, who went to the Rays, and he's arbitration eligible in 24 and 25. So basically... You rent him for two and a half seasons, if you will, a little less than two and a half. It's not a rental. It's actually a guy, I said that wrong there, not really a rental. It's a guy that you bring in. The one issue there is he's had a lot of issues as it pertains to injuries. And I'm always wary of a team trading with the Rays because it was a one-for-one deal where they get Manzardo, who was one of the top prospects in the Rays organization. And I think to myself, is there something wrong with that guy if the Rays are trading him away? And I worry about this from a Red Sox perspective when it comes to Savali, is if he comes to this organization in Tampa, they get pitchers right. They did this with Jeffrey Springs, who we saw was really bad for the Red Sox, became a really effective pitcher when he went to Tampa Bay. So that scares me just slightly. 
from a Red Sox perspective. The equivalent to this would have been like the number five prospect in the Red Sox organization, Nick York. I would have done it if I'm the Red Sox, but the thing is, they may just not be super high on what Savali brings to the table. He's not a big strikeout guy or anything along those lines. They just may believe that this isn't a guy they want for two and a half years. Okay, the other thing is just getting back to the controllable guys that Heim Bloom, and I do give Bloom credit for this. He told us prior to the trading deadline, they were looking for controllable pitchers. Two of those guys I mentioned, Keller and Dylan Cease, both two years after this. Cease is in his 27-year-old season. He was in the Cy Young conversation last year. The numbers aren't as great as they were last year, but if you look at it since the start of 2021, he's 11.4 wins above replacement. That's seventh among starters, right behind Garrett Cole. He's been that good. And his strikeout rate is 30.2%, which is the seventh best, right behind Corbin Burns, who won the Cy Young last season in the National League. Now, Cease is a guy that will give up some loud contact, but this is a guy that has proven in the past he can be an elite starter. The other guy is Mitch Keller that we mentioned, a 27-year-old as well. So, And he's got two more years of club control as well. Has a really good fastball, and if you look at his hard hit rate, that's balls off the bat 95-plus that we're alluding to with Chris Sale. That is third among 74 pitchers this year that have thrown at least 100 innings. So he's a guy that provides a lot of soft contact. So the issue here is, the thing that you can defend the Red Sox on is you say, well, neither one of these guys got moved, right? Because there was a big asking price. But here's the question. Will these teams pivot? Because right now, if you look at the Red Sox organizationally, they still need pitching entering 2024. Because right now, the only guy that's a guarantee really is Bayo, who's been outstanding for this team, Brian Bayo, who's been outstanding for the team this year. And the other component to that is you look at the rest of these guys. I like Cutter Crawford. I may like him more as a bullpen piece, though, in terms of a long guy that can give you three to four innings at a time because as a starter, 472 ERA, he's been better lately, but is he really a number or is he really a guy you want in the rotation? You look at the other guys, Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck, both making their way back from injury. And I'm not talking about for this year, I'm talking into the future. Whitlock has a starter this year, a 523 ERA. He's an elite bullpen arm. He has not been a good starter and he can't stay healthy as a starter. Tanner Houck, Third time through the order has been a mess, and the second time through the order has been a mess for Tanner Houck as well. And he's really, if you look at it, second time through the order as a starter this year, 317, 360 on base percentage for the opponents, and an 812 OPS. So those numbers are really bad. And the issue is, you look at Paxton, he could be gone after the year. Sale is always going to be a guy that's dealing with some sort of injury. And the other component to all this is, I'll say, when you look at the starting pitching for the Red Sox, And then you look at those guys we mentioned, the Pirates may say, hey, we still have Mitch Keller for two more years. So they may start the season with Mitch Keller. And then if things go south, maybe he's available at the deadline. Same thing with the Chicago White Sox. And I'm sure Jason Goff can talk to you guys about this. They're a really poorly run organization. They may roll it back with Dylan Cease. So both these guys may not be available at the trading deadline next season. So that issue that you had in terms of the starting pitching, you're still going to have to address it next season. Now, I'm not surprised they didn't add a rental. I didn't think they'd add a rental, but I would have loved them to add a cost control guy. Problem is the price was too high for the Red Sox, apparently. Now, the other thing is Alex Verdugo was not moved. Now, Verdugo had a great start to the season, but in July, he hit just 151. That was 180th out of 180 qualified hitters. Dead last. Now, good thing is he did have a better end to the month, but he was still last in batting average in the month of July. And one of the issues with Verdugo is he doesn't hit lefties. In terms of the numbers, 232 against lefties, which is 120th of 157 qualifiers, and his on or his slugging percentage is 145th. 
So this is one of the real interesting dynamics for the Red Sox is they have a really good outfielder against lefties in terms of Rob Refsnyder, who leads Major League Baseball as it pertains to on-base percentage against lefties. He's going to play. Yoshida's going to play. Duran's going to play. Duvall's going to play against a left-handed pitcher. So one of those guys, Yoshida, will probably DH. You're going to have to sit Alex Verdugo against left-handed pitching, which is the guy that came into the season as one of sort of the faces of the organization. That's going to be a difficult conversation to have. And you're not going to sign him long-term because he's not a self-starter. He's had issues with motivation. So now you go back to the offseason, maybe you can parlay Verdugo into one of these cost-controlled pitchers because he's not going to be around long-term. The other thing I'll say about the Red Sox and going forward with this team, Heim Bloom has done an outstanding job improving the farm system. Fangraphs actually had them ranked fifth in Major League Baseball. And if you look at it, go back to 2016 when the Red Sox had a good farm system. And if you look at the guys ranked there, Yoan Moncada was number one. He hasn't had an OPS north of 700 since 2021. Okay, so he didn't work out. He was in the sale trade. Rafael Devers, massive hit. Andrew Benintendi was a hit, but you didn't want to give him a big deal, of course, and the Red Sox have been proven right to move on from Benintendi. Number four was Anderson Espinosa. He's in AAA at 25. Michael Kopech was fifth at that time. He was in the sale trade, and in his 27-year-old season this year, he's a 449 ERA. Brian Johnson, AAA right now with the Angels. Number seven, Sam Travis out of the league. Number eight, Luis Alexander Basabi, who was in the sale trade as well, never did anything. Devin Marrero, career 191 hitter, was ninth in the Red Sox organization. And number 10 at that point in terms of the prospect rankings was Michael Chavis, a career OPS of 688, and he strikes out nearly 32% of the time. Not a good hitter. So basically one monster hit in Rafael Devers. And Andrew Benintendi worked out for sure. But if you look at it, Moncada and Kopik were the right guys to trade. Dave Dombrowski identified the right guys in the organization, the former Red Sox general manager, to move on from Moncada and Kopik to get Chris Sale. You would do that trade 10 out of 10 times. And remember, at the time, Dave Dombrowski said, you can't have Devers and you can't have Benintendi. And he basically called the White Sox bluff until they traded him Sale for what he was offering. So my point with all this is if you look at this Red Sox organization, they're going to have to move on from some of these prospects. And it's great that Bloom has built this thing up, right? But you think about the Nick Yorks of the world. Now, obviously, you're not giving up your number one prospect in Marcelo Meyer, but Marcelo Meyer is eventually going to be the shortstop. Trevor Story is signed long-term to be the second baseman. So where is Nick York playing long-term? And he right now is in the top five in your organization. He doesn't hit for power, good bat-to-ball guy, but you're going to have an elite defensive second baseman in Trevor Story that's under contract. So at some point... When we're thinking about these moves that the Red Sox are going to have to make, it's a guy like Nick York or Rafaela, who is currently ranked in the top five in the Red Sox organization as well. Those are the type of guys that you're going to have to think about if you're Heim Bloom that are in your top 10 where you say, hey, these guys may not be major league stars for us. And this is sort of a currency in major league baseball. And this is part of the job. Heim Bloom's done a great job rebuilding this organization as it pertains to a surplus at certain positions in the farm system. But now he has to do the thing in the future. Next offseason will be the start of this situation because obviously he didn't do it at the trading deadline. He has got to find the guys in this Red Sox farm system where he can get back, in this case for the Red Sox, what they really desperately need is major league pitching. And we'll see if Heimblum is able to do that because obviously a lot of these guys he's brought into the organization, will he be willing to move on from these guys? Because he's going to have to if he wants his team to be a contender in the near future. 
All right, a lot more coming up. You'll hear from my buddy John Jastrzemski from New York, New York, the guys from the Philly Special, and Jason Goff from the Full Go in Chicago. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Shield Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak and ace producer Cliff Augustine. Ben, I'm fresh off my first training camp practice of 2023. It feels good. Yeah, and 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 uh, envious I am of you are the beautiful Novacare complex. A nice day in Philadelphia. It's good stuff. I've got Detroit coming up, which like Detroit's a fine facility, but nothing on the Novacare complex. I've never been to the uh, Lions facility. Yeah, I was down there. Uh, as people noted, I'm a real football guy because I didn't show up until the pads came on. You know, I'm not going uh. up there for the seven and seven stuff. I'm there for the pads coming on. So I saw that practice. I'll share uh, some of what I saw there. We've got questions in the mailbag here as well. Nothing too newsy. Everybody is, you know, if you want to knock on wood, everyone is relatively healthy. Hassan Reddick is still not practicing fully, but he was there uh, in a limited capacity as well. If you're worried about kind of one sort of contract-ish type issue. I don't think anything's really going to happen there. Uh, but he was in the house. Brian Johnson spoke uh, before practice. They were selling the Kelly Greens at the little, uh, of it looks kind of like a food, tr- it looks kind of like a food truck. I know they have at like the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So they were, because I think otherwise, uh, you guys might know better than me, but I, I've got a lot of complaints from friends about like the rollout process with the Kelly Greens, how they're like hard to get. They're not shipping until like September or something like that. So I know there are a lot of, uh, at least I've heard anecdotally, some complaints about that, but I guess that's one way you can get to it. All right, let's start with some questions and then I'll kind of weave in my observations from today's practice. uh, And then at the end, if I forgot anything, we can talk about it then. All right, Subashish asks, what Jalen Hurts did last year was amazing. I love his game, but I'm Same. a bit snake-bitten. I have seen an MVP runner-up become jobless in this city not too long ago. I mean, this is writing, bro. He dropped snake-bitten. It, it could be too, but uh, this is not a Sixers pod. Uh, it is just one great year from Jalen Hurts. Please convince me why the story will be different this time. Uh, so, yeah. So, obviously, he's talking about Carson Wentz. And I think it's actually, I've heard this from a sprinkling of Eagles fans who, you know, I'll run stuff by them like, hey, are you mad at me for uh, putting Justin Herbert above Jalen Hurts? And many of them say yes, but some of them say no. I think that's reasonable. Hurts has only done it for one year. We don't know what he's going to look like this year. You need a bigger uh, body of work. So uh, Subash's qu- is question, I think, has been echoed from some Eagles fans. Uh, what's your take there, Ben? Why is this not Carson Wentz 2.0? Uh, I think that 
Jalen Hurts is a dramatically different individual, and I think being a dramatically different individual matters a lot. I was, it was funny. I was actually listening back to a, a show I did when the Eagles were first in trade discussions for Wentz. Like, are they going to send him to the Bears, you know, to the, the Colts? What was going to happen? So I was just going back and, like, going through some old stuff. And one of the things that I said on that show that I kind of had forgotten about uh, in the whole Wentz debacle was how, like, from January to August, like, he wasn't getting better. Like, this, this was a guy who was kind of showing up every single year at camp as he was with the same issues, with the same mechanical problems, same footwork problems. He wasn't like, he was always unhealthy, right? He's always dealing with injuries and like some of that's out of his control. But in general, it was at times a frustrating experience because it felt like Wentz wasn't doing the stuff in the off season. He needed to get better. And that also had to do with like his connection with his teammates, how he was viewed in the building. You could not possibly have a greater difference between him and Jalen Hurts in this way, right? Like, uh, if I have if I have to see the I didn't walk through fire just to smell the smoke quote one more time, I'm gonna lose it. But like this is who Jalen is, right? It's a this great is, quote. That's that it's a, a bar shield. It's such a good <laughs> quote. With that said, it's driving me nuts how how how, how much I've, I've seen it. Yeah, the um the long and the short of it is that uh you trust Jalen Hurts the individual to do what is necessary to stay at the top of his game, to stay ahead of the game, more than you trusted Carson Wentz to do that. With that said. It's a legitimate thing, right? Like, it, if quarterback play was predictive and, and talent was sticky and players were about as good as they were supposed to be, you and I would not have jobs because it would not be an interesting thing to talk about or analyze, right? And so, absolutely. Like, if, ne- if last year's per- performance predicted next year's performance, it'd be great. But you and I both know that's not the case. And so, it is a Philadelphian sports fear that you have to live with in the back of your mind. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the ability to improve. And I remember early on when we were potting, I didn't know you agreed with me on this, but you did that oftentimes in football analysis, we overrate an individual's ability to improve. But we know there are exceptions. And I think Jalen Hurts is absolutely uh, the exception here. And I think that's the biggest difference between him and Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz's flaws were the same from day one until the day he was out of the league. And, and we can all name what all those are. He, he couldn't hit the layups. He was uh, reckless with the football. He fumbled a lot. Uh, and, and, and we can probably go, you know, the mechanics, we can go on and on. Jalen Hurts has been the opposite. Jalen Hurts every year, it's, it's like the old, you know, like basketball player thing. Like they add something to their game every offseason. And like, you can say that and it's one thing and you can kind of roll your eyes and then you watch him and you go, wait, this was a guy who completed 66.5% of his passes last year. He was fourth in completion percentage over expectation. He was seventh in adjusted completion percentage. Wow, this was a pretty accurate uh, quarterback last year, especially compared to what we saw the year before in 2021. And and that's just kind of like the, the start of it. And so um, you expect him to recognize the flaws in his game. Nick Sirianni has called him the most coachable player he's ever coached. You saw, remember, in 2021, uh, Hurts made a mistake comes to the sideline and Sirianni is getting on him. Like coaches don't have to worry about hurt feelings with Jalen Hurts. They did have to worry about that uh, Mm -hmm. with Carson Wentz. So uh, this isn't me telling you he's going to be like a top three MVP caliber type quarterback for the next 10 years. But I I do think the makeup is so different with him where he's accountable. You mentioned connecting with teammates. That's absolutely something. Work ethic, uh, leading by example and leading vocally. All those things he has in his bag that Carson Wentz uh, did not have in his bag. So I think it's a fair question. Uh, He was only great for one season, but I still would be shocked if this ended up being anything remotely close 
to a Carson Wentz uh, scenario where yeah. five years from now we go, man, Hertz had that one great season, but it kind of fell apart after that. I just don't see uh, that happening. Uh, some notes from Hertz at practice today. Uh, the play of the day was probably he hit AJ Brown on I want to say a fifty or sixty yard touchdown. It looked like a post to me. It might not have been a post. It looked like a post to me. AJ Brown was singled up against James Bradbury. The coverage was good, and he just dropped it in the bucket. And Jalen Hurts' deep passing accuracy has been outstanding uh, going back to last year. And that's something uh, you know he, he's as good a, a, at that as really I think anyone in the NFL. So uh, that was one play that stood out. He had a nice back shoulder to AJ Brown on the left side. Uh, he had a play where he was flushed out of the pocket, rolling to his left, hit Devonte Smith with a little toe tap uh, on the sideline where I think they marked it out of bounds, but still a fantastic play. So uh, Jalen Hurts looked great to me today. I mean, you're not going to judge Jalen Hurts by training camp practices. When you saw him go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. you kind of, you know, that you can judge him off that. But uh, if you're, if you're just wondering, is he sharp here coming off of last season for the one practice I was at today? Uh, the answer is absolutely yes. He was sharp. All right. Is this year going to be the last hurrah for the vets that propelled the team to victory in 2017? I can't imagine Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, and Brandon Graham all being back in 2024. So those four players, Ben, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, give me the order of most likely to least likely be playing on this team in 2024. Most likely. Lane Johnson. Next most likely, Brandon Graham. Third most likely, Jason Kelsey. Big Cavern. Fourth most likely, Fletcher Cox. Uh, I had Kelsey and Graham flip-flopped, but I don't take it. I don't feel that strongly about it. Otherwise, I agree with your order. I mean, I expect Lane Johnson, to st- unless he decides to retire, to still be the right tackle for this team in 2024. Jason Kelsey, as we know, is year to year, and we'll see what he decides. He still was playing really well last year. Now, he is like increasingly, he obviously has the podcast, like there is going to be a point where it's just like, all right. right, this was a good run. But he's not like, it's actually a smart move. You know, you hear athletes retire and then they don't know what to do. Like he's actually got something that he's already doing uh, right away. He's got a family. He's got young kids. Uh, he's involved in the community in Philadelphia. So I, I don't know that it will be the hardest transition for him, but he's an emotional guy. He's been playing for a long time. So I'm sure it won't be easy. Now that I think about it, you might be right with Graham over Kelsey because Graham is already in a backup rotational role. And yep. those guys like the, the Calais Campbell's, the Justin Houston's of the, like those guys can play a long time. Melvin Ingram. I mean, those guys right. uh, just kind of stay in the league and Brandon he was Graham's really good last career year. year, man. Career was year great last rusher, year. Yeah, no doubt. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. Right. It's not like you're like, yeah. Oh no. Now he's going to go leverage us into a deal. Like he's, he just wants to play with the Eagles forever and yeah. vibe. Like, I think Graham's going to stick around, whereas Kelsey is clearly engaged with the idea of retiring for multiple seasons. Good point. All right. You sold me. Let's go. The consensus Philly special ranking would be Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, which, by the way, we didn't think Fletcher Cox was going to be back this year. So I'm not telling you he's 100% not going to be back. Howie Roseman, there's a sentimentality. Also, like defensive tackles that you sign in free agency get some really weird big-time contracts that you don't expect. So it's not like... The easiest replacement would be, hey, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, and Milton Williams. But that's assuming that those guys develop and one of them gives you some pass rush this year, uh, which is not a given. You just lost Javon Hargrave 
last offseason. So I would agree with you. I think he's one where I would say it's more likely that he's gone after this year than not, but you can't really rule anything out. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. All right, welcome into episode 271 of the Full Go Podcast and also the local angle. Shout out to our FanDuel TV folks out there. You can catch us right here on the Full Go Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays unless I go on vacation and then leave y'all a message. By the way, no one's heeding the message of stop asking me if I'm a pod. <laughs> okay, so people wait. Boy, people love you know, getting in line for some free shit, don't they? <laughs> they just say, hey, man, I don't know if you know, but you didn't work yesterday I, I told you i wasn't gonna work i retweeted the last pod just so you knew that i wasn't gonna be working but i digress uh shout out to the, to the local angle this is very simple very simple for cubs fans out there they played their way back in the jet hoyer's heart huh they go out there and get jamie candelario they go out there and get a, another reliever they look at marcus Stroman and be like hey just stop bullshitting now <laughs> this is this is now two weeks where you haven't been yourself and all of a sudden this team's been winning around you you know we, we wanted to trade you for something and, and all of a sudden cody bellinger and marcus Stroman are on a team that's ready to make a playoff push right jet hoyer was sitting back on the controls like i can't believe y'all <laughs> i can not believe you know what it is 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 promising something to the student in your life that you know ain't gonna get that grade that's what it is <laughs> like you're looking at the kid like hey you get straight a's man i get you this ps5 and you're like man he ain't got a chance in hell i see his parents i know ain't a tutor in his life the boy you barely can stay on task for 15 minutes and then next thing you know <laughs> the last quarter of that school year they go hard <laughs> i'm speaking of myself by the way they go hard and next thing you know, you got to buy him whatever it is that you told him you would buy him. That's what happened with the Cubs clubhouse. They looked at the calendar. It was like, hey, guys, if we go really hard, we can get a PS5. That PS5 came in the name of Jamie Candelario who's going to be at first base. You can throw Cody back in the center field situation. You can get some more power from your corner infield positions, which let's face it, I don't care how much baseball changes with launch angle, velocity, exit velocity, VORP, the, all these special things, right? The Pythagorean theorems that you got to throw out there just to figure out who the hell is good. All these things, you still got to slug the baseball. And especially in postseason chases, good pitching to beat you, but one or two swings will put you over the top. And and adding Candelario and looking say Suzuki in the face like, hey, stop being so hard on yourself and hit the goddamn ball over the fence. Looking at Ian Happ like, yo, power surge needs to happen now. You know, Dansby Swanson, Christopher Morrell, these boys have been carrying things. Right, Cody Bellinger has been Cody Bellinger of old. So now you add Candelario, throw him at third if you want. Mostly throw him in at first. You got Trey Mancini, nice guy. Get him up out of here, right? Every time I turned on a Cubs game of note, Trey Mancini was like booting the ball or doing something, and you're like, ah, I really like him. But it's time for for move on from that, especially if you're going to try to chase down these Reds or get to that second wild card slot. Cubs fans. Be enthused because what this has done to me 
has has kicked this thing into another gear. It's kicked this thing into a gear where it's like, okay, they got to start spending. And and the spending took place at the trade deadline. And, and and while I was in Vegas walking around and, you know, vibing, I was thinking to myself, the whole Otani conversation that we've had on this podcast over and over and over again, especially over the last couple of months, because let's face it, the man is seemingly the best player in sports. Like, like nobody's doing what Shohei Otani's doing. The man is out here Babe Ruthing it and people don't want to give him. I still don't think he's gotten his just due. But I was thinking about it. If you're the Cubs and you're adding people at this trade deadline and say you go on to make some kind of miracle run where you make a little noise in the playoffs, right? You want to build that nest, that soft landing spot for a guy like Shohei Otani, who's looking at L.A., right? All the L.A. team, the Dodgers out there, of course, the Dodgers are going to be able to spend whatever the hell they want. And seemingly the Mets was like, hey, let's get rid of these two pitchers and uh, try to figure out if we can throw that money at him. And also, of course, the Yankees, they're going to be in contention. But I was thinking about like, man, you know, some of the things that Chicago has to go through that other cities don't have to go through, especially when it comes to a sport like baseball. If I'm Shohei Otani, and I got $500 million on the line, mind you, there will be no honeymoon period, right? The moment you sign that contract, you better be Babe Ruth for all seven, eight, nine years of it. And what don't I have to sacrifice, especially early on in that first date face that you have to be, you know, that representative that you have to be when you sign? What don't you want early on? Cold weather, <laughs> right? Like you don't want the first 25 games. Oh, he'll heat up in the back. You know, when, when the weather heats up, his battle heat up. And you're like, if you're the agent, like, Mm-mm. <laughs> you, you got a half a billion dollar check. Nobody wants to hear that shit at all. I was, I was walking around Vegas thinking like, yeah, this is what I was doing, by the way, in Vegas with all the things that were around me, the entire world in the, in the epicenter of sports, pretty much. I'm walking around thinking, man, will it be too cold for Shohei Otani? Since Jed Hoyer is kicking the tires on a, you know, on a go win it now kind of vibe. That's what I was thinking. Like I told you, I was vibing. So that's the fun part. Now we can talk about the White Sox. December 6, 2016, ladies and gentlemen, is when all of this changed. December 6, 2016 is when Chris Sale was traded from the White Sox to the Red Sox and the rebuild was underway. December 6, 2016 is the day I called my man Jim Murray in Boston and was like, yo, give me the lowdown on these prospects, All right? Moncada, Benintendi, right? Hey, you can laugh. Go ahead and laugh. Moncada, Benintendi, like, who are they willing to give up? What's going to happen here? Chris Sale is a top-shelf pitcher. That's when it started. And from that point on, all we've done as White Sox fans is hope and talk crazy. Because I know that's all I've done. Saw the rebuild that happened on the north side. He said, oh, what? They going out and getting this, you know, Latin Bo Jackson and Luis Robert. Man walking around the entire country with his shirt off and gold chain swinging. We saw that for a year and a half before he got over here. Right? Eloy Jimenez, the Jose Quintana trade. Oh, little poppy. huh? This dude's going to be able to hit you 40 bombs a year. Tim Anderson. Kidding me? Tim Anderson. The next face of baseball and especially I don't want to say blackface but the next blackface of baseball you know like everything it was coming to a swell of of passion and 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 execution and all the things that meet for the perfect formula of sustainable success in baseball right then you go through 2017 then you go through 2018 where you win 62 games 
All right. 2019 was another downer. But 2020, COVID season, truncated season, MVP. We ready to roll now. Jose Abreu plays the best 60 games of any American leaguer in a season that everyone has forgotten by now. And then you go on and get your ass beat up by the Houston Astros in back-to-back ALDSs. You get spanked by Dusty Baker and the eventual World Series winning Houston Astros. And throughout that time, all we've heard as Sox fans, kind of pandering, kind of um, condescending at times, but a, a constant message from Rick Hahn over and over again. He, he, he actually told Sox fans that I know y'all out here rooting against the rebuild just so y'all could be right. And if you think I'm lying, go look up the quote because it's actually stated. Right. These are all the things that were told to White Sox fans along the way. And we were sitting there like, oh, we they talking cash shit. This must be getting ready to get good. Right. Like I'm looking at it like don't nobody talk crazy like that unless they know they got, you know, (laughs) nine and a possible. You feel me? Got the big joker, lick the back of it, put it on his forehead. And it was like, who going to play what? That's what Rick Khan was talking like. And then Ricky Renteria had to go because he was the excuse. And then Tony LaRusso was brought in. And that's where we all sat back and go, oh, shit. <laughs> this ain't going the way that we think it should go. Throwing there the decline of Tim Anderson, the oft-injured Eloy Jimenez, a fantastic season by Dylan Cease, you know, Lucas Gilito, the ups and downs of his last four or five years, throw the no-hitter in Pittsburgh and And for the last seven years, I've kind of been told as a Sox fan, hey, get your mouth shut. We got this. And at certain points, I got my mouth shut because I figured they got it. And in the year that Luis Robert finally blooms, in a year that Tim Anderson hits his first home run 80-some-odd games into the season, in a year where Andrew Vaughn was thought to be the the clear-cut replacement for what has been first-base success over the last, I don't know, decade and a half with Jose Abreu, Paul Konerko, and Frank Thomas, the likes. In that year, White Sox fans have become more apathetic and rightfully so than I've ever, ever imagined. Coming off of what was the most disappointing season in our lifetimes in 2021, I'm sorry, in 2022. And now in this year, in 2023, We're still sitting here with a whole bunch of nothing in our hands. Yeah, you got a whole bunch of prospects, but why should I trust the person who was allowed to evaluate the last batch of prospects to evaluate this batch of prospects? This has been a failure, top to bottom. It's not just with the players. You can't just put it on Ricky Renteria or Tony LaRusso or my man PDG now. You can't just put it on them. You put this on Rick Hahn. You can put this on Kenny Williams. You can put this on anybody. And I like a lot of people over there at the Chicago White Sox organization. But this is big boy business. And they've been talking like big boys and girls for the last half a decade. And on August 1st, 2023, this thing was deemed a failure. They may not put that name on it. Sox fans have, can, and should. This is a failure. This last seven years of rebuilding and going out to watch bad baseball and supporting your team and watching minor league teams and minor league players in minor league games in place of just so you can have some kind of hope because watching 162 games of rebuilding is treacherous at times on the psyche. Well, guess what, Sox fans? You got another couple of years to do that. So while things seem swimmingly, you know, on the on the on the north side, 
Things seem like they're they're headed in the right direction. That team has forced their organization to be aggressive and be buyers. On the South side, we can cap off now the last six or seven years with a big fat F right on the term paper that is the Chicago White Sox rebuild. You can catch us on Sunday. You can catch us on Tuesday. You can catch us on Thursday. This is the Full Go Podcast. We're going to continue to talk about all these things. I'm going to have some more fun talking about my Vegas weekend than I did about the White Sox. We we appreciate y'all for hanging out with us here on FanDuel TV. This has been The Local Angle. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm John Zustremski, the host of the beleaguered New York, New York podcast on the ringer. And I'm not beleaguered. New York City is not beleaguered. But guess what? Our baseball teams stink. They are dreadful. And as we went through the August 1st trade deadline, it is now official You will look back on the 2023 New York Mets as officially the worst team that money can buy. There's no other way to slice it. There's no other way to dice it. There's no beating around the bush. The 2023 New York Mets will go down historically as the worst team money can buy. The Mets went and spent money like drunken sailors in the offseason. Monster extensions, bringing in Kodai Senga, replacing Jacob DeGrom with a first ballot future Hall of Famer and Justin Verlander. You spend north of $350 million, and yet here we are at the August 1st trade deadline, and the New York Mets, they sell 
And not only do they sell, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, throughout the last couple of weeks, Met General Manager Billy Epler kind of hinted at the fact that it wasn't going to be a quote-unquote fire sale in Metland. Oh, it's not going to be a fire sale. You don't have to worry about that. Well, I'm calling their bluff on that one. I'm calling BS on that one. Because when you go and trade not only David Robertson, not only Mark Canna, not only Tommy Pham and Dominic Leone, but you go and trade the two future Hall of Famers in your rotation in both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, respectively, to the Texas Rangers and Verlander going back to the Houston Astros? Oh, no. It's a fire sale in 2023. And, look, I had no problem with the Mets trading off guys who were on the last year of their contracts. Made perfect sense. Team's going nowhere this season. I had no problem with the Mets deciding to go and trade Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, who will be forever remembered like Tom Glavin for coming up small in the biggest of spots in a New York Met uniform, whether it was Atlanta last year, end of the regular season, whether it was against the San Diego Padres in the best of three wild card, where he got booed off the mound at City Field unlike any other Met pitcher has been booed off the mound before. And then throughout the course of this year, in big games against the Braves and the Yankees and the Phillies, Scherzer didn't get it done. So the fact that they have the financial muscle to say, hey, we're going to eat a crazy amount of the contracts so we go and get a top 100 prospect in return, I love the Mets doing that. That makes perfect sense. Where I differed with the Mets in their approach is I would have kept Justin Verlander for 2024. But in signaling that Justin Verlander is not going to be a part of your team and he's going to be back in Houston where he won a couple of World Series championships, it begs the question, what is the direction and what is the focus of Steve Cohen and the Met Brain Trust as far as how they're trying to build a baseball team? Well, to read between the lines, and Steve Cohen who's got a gazillion dollars, who's the richest owner in Major League Baseball, who's the richest owner in sports as far as I'm concerned. He hinted that we got to build up our farm system. And if the product on the field is not up to my standard, then we'll be willing to reassess a lot of stuff. And if that means selling at the trade deadline, if that means even looking at 2024, as a retooling type of year, well, then so be it. That's kind of what Max Scherzer hinted at in his little one-on-one sit-down that he gave Ken Rosenthal and in the comments he made right after he joined the Texas Rangers. It's this idea and this narrative that come 2024, the Mets are not necessarily going to be all in when it comes to building a World Series team. And I think most Mets fans with sense and logic and understanding, I think they can get behind that if the plan in place makes sense. And this is where I'll applaud the Mets. Yeah, I would have kept Verlander. Yeah, I would have had more of a modest approach to the fire sale at the trade deadline. But I applaud the Mets from the standpoint of there aren't half measures going on here. They're fully committed to saying, hey, guess what? Look at the teams that are winning right now in the sport. They're young, they're dynamic, they're athletic. They're bringing up guys through their minor league system. 
we are not doing that at a good enough level. We do not have the organizational depth, and we need to figure that out. Even with Lindor under contract for big money, even with Brandon Nimmo signing a $160 million contract, even Edwin Diaz coming back next year, the Mets are emphasizing youth, farm system, and I don't think we'll see a Met offseason in which they're the big drunken sellers that they've been each of the last two years. I think it'll be a far more modest approach to free agency. And in order for this franchise to get to where they need to be, they better hope some of these prospects that they got from the Rangers and the Astros, respectively, are going to help them do that. So it was a pretty crystal clear message from Steve Cohen, Billy Epler, about what the direction and what the future of the New York Mets is going to look like. You got the polar opposite of that from Brian Cashman and the New York Yankees as far as their trade deadline. And I know many people out there are probably wondering, JJ, you're not up in arms that the Yankees didn't go and buy at this year's trade deadline? No, I'm not up in arms about that. What am I up in arms about? The fact that the Yankees didn't sell. They stink. Have you watched the Yankees throughout the month of July? Have you watched the Yankees get thoroughly outclassed in the two series they've played here against the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays, who are vastly superior teams to them in the American League East? The Yankees couldn't go and get Shohei Otani. They couldn't go and get Juan Soto. They couldn't even get Cody Bellinger because the Chicago Cubs pulled him off the market. Forget about all that. With the way John Carlos Stanton, with the way Anthony Rizzo, with the way DJ LeMay, you look at the plate. What leads you to believe that getting anyone on this Yankee team is going to all of a sudden jumpstart them and get them in the playoffs where they actually could go and be a threat and be dangerous and, dare I say, have a chance to go and represent the American League in the World Series? They've shown none of that. But what the Yankees decided to do is we're not going to buy. We're going to add one middle reliever from the Chicago White Sox, and that's going to be our idea of a trade deadline. And then what insults my intelligence, and the Yankees do this far too often, whether it's Aaron Boone lecturing members of the media about the competitive nature of their bats when they strike out 18 times. I guess he thinks that the Yankee fan base and people that cover the team and people that do podcasts like me are a bunch of morons. I I guess that's what the Yankee manager thinks because that was a tough comment to hear. And then I got to hear the Yankee general manager tell all the media members on Tuesday, we're in it to win it. Excuse me? What? We're in it to win it? You didn't add anything. Your team has underperformed all year. If you were in it to, in it to win it, you would have gone and gotten a left fielder in the offseason. So that way, maybe you would have had somebody in left field that could have given you something from game one on. They did not do that. And this is painful for me because mathematically speaking, the Yankees are alive for that third wild card in the American League. They are. But optic-wise, they're a team that has shown no reason to believe that it's going to be any different, even if they were lucky enough 
to find their way in October. And right now, Fangraphs is not a believer. Their playoff chances are less than 20%. The big, bad New York Yankees have playoff chances that are less than 20%. Part of me wants the bottom to fall out. Because the organization, if you're not in New York, maybe you don't feel it, maybe you don't sense it, but I'll tell you point blank, they're stale. The Yankees have a stale feel to them. That's why if you look at the FanDuel odds right now, they're plus money. They're actually good odds. They're juicy odds to go make the playoffs. When do you, in early August, have the New York Yankees to make the postseason at plus 180, 200 odds? The Yankees. That never happens. And it just goes to show you that the odds makers are aligned with the fact that 2023 is not their year. And if you want that sort of wholesale change within the organization, does this bad boy have to bottom out in August and in September to get that result you crave? It probably won't happen because the Yankees continue to kind of just repeat themselves off-season, off-season, after off-season, and think that the result is going to change. So shame on them for that. But it's dark times in the New York baseball landscape. And it is a far cry, and it is drastically different than what we had a year ago when you had the Mets winning 100 games. We had the Yankees wire-to-wire win the American League East. And Aaron Judge is chasing down Roger Maris's home run record in the American League. And it was a feel-good summer of baseball. Now, most New Yorkers that I run into on the streets in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Queens, in Manhattan, Staten Island, even in Jersey and Connecticut, they want to be a part of the party. It's that countdown to football season. I have two countdowns on my desk at the moment. One for my wedding, which is coming up at the end of the month. The other, it is a countdown for that first Sunday of NFL action, really the second Sunday of the month of September. It cannot get here soon enough. New York, New York, of course, a part of the local angle here on FanDuel TV. But yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski. Hopefully I have something that puts me in a better mood to talk about next week. We'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.